Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with the schedule of English language broadcast, or it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, NHK World Radio Japan, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with France 24. A series of press reviews. First, reactions to the referendums on the four regions of Ukraine that voted to join Russia. Then, press reviews on the gas pipeline leaks in the Baltic Sea and the Italian election that was won by far-right candidate Giorgio Maloney, France 24. So then, uh, four Ukrainian regions, as we've been saying, under Russian control, claiming victory in annexation referendums today in what the West is calling a sham. It is, of course, dominating the newspapers, and Diptyka Laurent is here to take us through it. Diptyka. Let's start with the Moscow Times today, which is really looking at the results in those four uh, separatist regions. Zaporizhia uh, announcing that 93% of voters in the referendum voted yes to being annexed in Russia. In Kherson, that figure was at 87%. And in Donetsk, it was a whopping 99%, uh, a colossal re- uh, colossal result, um, uh, according to the separatist leader backed by Russia. That's, in the, that's a focus of the Moscow Times today. Uh, but as you said, uh, the West has uh, largely condemned this, ref- these, this referendum as a sham and that that sort of attitude is really spilling onto the front pages today. The uh, French paper Le Figaro here uh, really not mincing its words. It says Putin orchestrates the annexation of a part of Ukraine and it's uh, very clear uh, from the editorial today that the paper uh, feels that this referendum was a sham and says, however, if Putin can plant a seed of doubt among Ukrainians about the pertinence of this war in Ukraine, well, it would give him the upper hand. Deputy, you found lots of reactions as well as uh, to those uh, leaks of two Baltic sea gas pipelines that Europe is blaming on Russian sabotage. That's right. A lot of um, focus uh, from the Nordic press today. Let's show you Politiken, which is a Danish paper. Uh, here they're uh, quoting the Danish um, uh, prime minister yesterday is calling uh, these uh, leaks followed by that uh, underwater explosion. She called them deliberate acts. Uh, and Prime Minister Meta Fredriksen is also on the front page of another Danish paper, Extra Bladded, which uh, you see here. Their uh, headline is, uh, even if you don't speak Danish, is, is, is very clear. Gas terror, it says on its front page. And the paper indeed evokes the possibility of a sabotage, uh, noting also that the Danish prime minister was inaugurating another pipeline in Poland yesterday, one that could uh, help bring uh, Europe its much-needed energy independence from uh, Russia. Uh, What's interesting is you do have a counterpoint in The Guardian today, which sort of tries to... uh, 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 
uh, uh, spill down, if you like, or the, um, pour water on uh, the sort of fear that was uh, created after this ex after these explosions yesterday. The Guardian saying uh, this columnist says, well, relatively little was at stake. Um, and even if it does seem like sabotage, it seems very unlikely that it, Russia would uh, dare make such a move at a time when the war in Ukraine is not going as well as planned. Reactions continue to flood in through the paper, the world's papers today after Italy took a sharp turn to the far right in its elections. Deepika Laurent is here to break it down for us. Deepti, what have you found this morning? Well, that's right, Erin. The election of Giorgia Meloni, the far right leader in Italy, continues to dominate the papers uh, across the world this Tuesday. Uh, this is an editorial from Il Manifesto. It's an Italian communist paper, so really on the whole other side of that political spectrum. And it really sees uh, her election, the election of Giorgia uh, Maloney and the ensuing crisis among the Italian left as a result of, quote, heavy political myopia. The paper says the uh, paper accuses the left essentially of overestimating the international prestige of Mario Draghi, who was running that caretaker government up until elections uh, this weekend. Uh, as a result, the paper says it's led, it's led to this historical turning point in Italian politics. And, Dipti, that shock is also reverberating through the French papers this morning, isn't it? That's right. We can show you uh, Libération, that's the French left-leaning paper here. Uh, it says uh, in, in its headline that all fears lead to Rome, not all roads, but all fears lead to Rome. Uh, and the paper really picking up on the anti-Europe angle there, uh, the fear of obviously being that this is a Eurosceptic party, the Brothers of Co uh, of Italy coalition, and a, a picture indeed speaks a thousand words, Erin, and you see that that's a picture of um, Giorgia Meloni on Liberation's front page, a very unflattering portrait of her laughing almost demonically, you could say, so certainly Liberation is not, uh, is not hiding its uh, deception or its disappointment in her election. L'Humanité, that is the um, uh, French communist paper, they are going with a more sober picture on its front page, but one that's nonetheless striking, that's of Emilia-Romagna, a region in Italy that historically voted for the left that has now shifted to the far right, uh, the paper really um, lamenting that sort of shift to the far right and, and, and really showing us quite soberly the impact of this election in Italy. The Washington Post, for its part, says that this should all be taken with a grain of salt. That's right. The Post says Maloney founded her party a decade ago on nationalistic, on nationalist lines, and it reminds us that her party never really advocated fascism. However, it does say that uh, the, the part, her party's um, ties to, support, to a party that was founded by supporters of the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini cannot be overlooked. Uh, however, they do sort of strike down any comparisons between Giorgia Meloni to Hungary's uh, leader, Viktor Orban, saying that Italy is a very different story. In Italy, for instance, you have a robustly free media. You also uh, have Italy, which has been a uh, a Western democracy for decades. So the Washington Post says, yes, uh, her election is, is perhaps alarming, but it's not as bad as it seems. Her party does not want to end democracy. It wants to, quote, restore Italy's economic freedom. Those press reviews were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. 
on to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. By Thursday morning, the Swedish Coast Guard had found a fourth gas pipeline leak in the Baltic Sea, which may be creating the largest methane release into the atmosphere on record. Russia is demanding an investigation into this sabotage. Peru declared an environmental emergency in the Amazon rainforest following the discovery of a leaking oil pipeline. Iran stepped up its response to anti-government protest sparked by the death of a young woman in police custody. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The Swedish Coast Guard has found a fourth leak in the Nord Stream gas pipelines that ruptured after undersea explosions were detected. Scientists say the Baltic sea lines could be pumping out the biggest methane release on record. Questions of blame remain as both the EU and Russia demand answers. Moscow has called a United Nations Security Council meeting to address the issue. The Kremlin has also suggested foul play. No option can be ruled out right now. It's clear that there is damage to the pipeline. We can't exclude any version of events regarding the reason for this before the results of the official investigation. The EU has vowed retaliation for any attack on the energy network. The leaks are expected to last for at least another week. And only then can investigations begin. Peru has declared an environmental emergency in the Amazon rainforest because of a leaking pipeline. More than 2,500 barrels of oil have flowed into a river that is being fished by indigenous people. The state petroleum company says vandals have attacked the pipe. Iran is stepping up its response to nationwide anti-government protests. Officials say they've arrested more than 1,200 demonstrators. Human rights monitors say at least 76 people have died in rallies sparked by the death of a young woman in police custody. We don't want the Islamic Republic. That's the protest cry of people in Iran's capital, Tehran. Only a few videos from the protests are getting through to the outside world due to repeated internet shutdowns. But people are taking to the streets around the country, like here in the southern city of Bushehr. Pro-government rallies have also been held, like here in Tehran on Sunday. Supporters of the regime have blamed the wave of protests on the West. Hardline clerics have threatened what they call the troublemakers taking part in the protests. If you do not stop these shameless crimes, you should expect a severe response from us. Tehran's judiciary has set up special courts to try protesters, who officials said will be treated as dangerous criminals. State media say the number of arrests has now surpassed 1,200. Video footage that has emerged in recent days shows the brutality of the security services. Observers say the authorities' heavy-handed tactics are a sign that the protests are making a mark. This is a sign that social resistance is not waning, that the Iranian people are not just resigned to the situation, and so the protests will continue, even if they are violently repressed. And it seems there is no sign of the protests going away anytime soon.
Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. On to NHK World Radio Japan. Negotiators from the International Atomic Energy Agency and Iran have started talks over the Iranian nuclear program, but conflicts over the veracity of U.S. evidence have held back progress. At the United Nations, the North Korean ambassador has condemned joint military exercises by the U.S. and South Korea as an intentional provocation of war. German fighter jets perform military drills with Japanese fighter jets. More details on the missile launchings by North Korea coinciding with the visit by Vice President Kamala Harris to South Korea. In Japan, Harris blasted China and pledged support for the Taiwan separatist. NHK Japan Negotiators from the International Atomic Energy Agency and Iran have started talks over the Iranians' nuclear program. But they've run into some of the same problems that halted their discussions three months ago. IAEA Director General Rafael Mariano Grossi says his organization is ready to resolve issues. He asked the the Iranians to cooperate in an investigation into nuclear substances found at undeclared sites between 2019 and 2020. But the head of Iran's Atomic Energy Organization rejected the request. Mohammed Eslami accused the IAEA of making what he calls a baseless and fabricated allegation. Consultations stalled in June after the IAEA board adopted a resolution criticizing Iran's responses to the discovery. The Iranians retaliated by removing some of the cameras monitoring their activities. The issue has become a sticking point in indirect talks between Iran and the U.S. to salvage the 2015 deal aimed at curbing Tehran's nuclear program in return for lifting sanctions. The North Korean ambassador to the United Nations has condemned joint military exercises by the United States and South Korea as extremely dangerous act. The exercises are an extremely dangerous act of igniting the fuse to drive the situation on the Korean peninsula to the brink of war. Ambassador Kim Sung made the remarks in a speech before the UN General Assembly on Monday. The joint exercises began the same day and involve a U.S. nuclear-powered aircraft carrier in the Sea of Japan. Kim cited a recently adopted North Korean law outlining conditions for using nuclear weapons. It's the right answer to protect peace and stability on the Korean peninsula from hostile policies and military threats from the U.S. and other countries. North Korea launched a short-range ballistic missile toward the Sea of Japan on Sunday. The country also appears to be preparing to fire a submarine-launched ballistic missile, or SLBM. While Tokyo and Berlin are also sending a message, Germany has held its first drills in Japanese airspace as part of its pledge to be more involved in the Indo-Pacific. 
Three Japanese F-2 fighter jets and three German Euro fighter jets took part in Wednesday's drill. Japanese officials say the drill involved formation training to improve communication and tactical skills. The exercise is part of a shift in Germany's policies toward China. Berlin has become increasingly concerned about Beijing's move to expand its maritime reach, especially after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Last November, a German Navy frigate made a port call in Japan for the first time in two decades. At that time, it held a joint exercise with self-defense forces. We start with more details on North Korea's latest provocation. Japanese defense officials say North Korea fired two ballistic missiles Wednesday evening, the second launch in less than a week. South Korea's military says the North fired short-range ballistic missiles from Sunan near Pyongyang towards the Sea of Japan. Japan says it believes they fell into waters east of North Korea outside Japan's exclusive economic zone. Defense officials say the missiles could have been capable of following irregular flight paths. There are no reports of damage to Japanese ships or aircraft. It was North Korea's 20th launch of the year. The launch comes ahead of a planned visit by U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris to the Korean demilitarized zone. U.S. Vice President Harris has blasted China and pledged continued support for Taiwan's self-defense. During a speech at a U.S. naval base near Tokyo, she said Beijing was undermining rules-based order in the region. China has challenged the freedom of the seas. China has flexed its military and economic might to coerce and intimidate its neighbors. Harris made the remarks in an address to U.S. sailors. She accused China of using U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan as a pretext for military exercises, which she described as an unprecedented show of force. Harris said Washington anticipates further aggressive behavior from Beijing as it attempts to unilaterally undermine the status quo. But she made it clear the U.S. would not be deterred. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report, or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal, or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a repeat supporter in Willits, California did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Colombia and Venezuela held a ceremony while opening their borders for the first time in seven years. Young activists staged a coordinated global climate strike over the weekend, pressing rich nations to pay for the damage that their carbon emissions are inflicting on the global south and elsewhere.
At the United Nations, the Prime Minister of Pakistan appealed for global support to deal with the consequences of the recent climactic disaster in his country. Also at the UN, the Prime Minister of St. Vincent and the Grenadines spoke to resolving geopolitical conflicts at a time of escalating aggressions. Cubans voted by a wide margin to accept a new family code which supports same-sex marriage and adoption. Radio Havana, Cuba. On Monday, Colombia and Venezuela officially reopened their common land border with a ceremony that included Colombian President Gustavo Petro and the governor of the Venezuelan state of Táchira, Freddy Bernal. The Venezuelan delegation was also made up of Transport Minister Ramón Velázquez, Industry Minister Hipólito Abreu, and Finance Superintendent José Cabello. The ceremony, which began with the interpretation of the national anthems, was carried out on the Simón Bolívar Bridge, through which the first cargo trucks passed in both directions. During the event, citizens of both countries expressed their happiness for the reestablishment of diplomatic relations. From the Venezuelan side, people launched balloons into the air with the colors of the flag of both countries, while shouts and applause were heard. Petro and the Bolivarian officials witnessed the passage for the first Venezuelan truck that crossed the border loaded with 32 tons of iron to the Colombian side. The vehicle was adorned with yellow, blue, and red balloons. That which crosses the border be for the prosperity of the people, said the Colombian president a little before the truck slowly crossed the Bolivar Bridge, honking its horn. Today is an historic day for the history of the region, for South America, Petro said, while Colombians and Venezuelans shouting Viva continue to witness the passing of trucks. Young activists staged a coordinated global climate strike this weekend to highlight the effects of global warming and demand more aid for poor countries hit by weather chaos. Protests from New Zealand and Japan to Germany and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the DRC, pressed rich nations to pay for the damage their carbon emissions are inflicting on the global south and elsewhere. Demonstrators took to the streets in Jakarta, Tokyo, Rome, Berlin and Montreal, carrying banners and posters with slogans such as, It's not too late. If Jakarta is flooded, everyone who has money can leave. Where do I go? I will drown here in Jakarta, one protester who gave her name as Meta said in Indonesia's capital. About 400 young activists gathered in the DRC's capital, Kinshasa, chanting slogans such as Act for Africa, Protect Our Planet, as leaders of developing disaster-struck nations pleaded their cases at the United Nations. About 2,000 protesters marched through the streets of New York City to condemn climate inaction. Dinah Landsman, 17, said every day she asks herself about what kind of future she will have as she grows older because of climate change. Her generation has to act, she said. No one else is going to do it. It's us who have the most at stake. The protests follow warnings from scientists that countries are not doing enough to meet the 2015 Paris Climate Accord's top-line target of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, 2.7 Fahrenheit, this century compared with pre-industrial times. 
Pakistan's Prime Minister, Shibaz Sharif, has appealed for global support to face the consequences of the climatic catastrophe that ravaged his South Asian nation. The flood-induced devastation means it is incumbent upon Pakistan to, quote, ensure rapid economic growth and lift millions out of poverty and hunger, he said at the United Nations. Quote, no words can describe the shock we are living through or how we face the country lies transformed. Sharif told the United Nations General Assembly in New York for 40 days and 40 nights a biblical flood poured down on us, smashing centuries of weather records, challenging everything we know about disaster and how to manage it. More than 1,500 people have been killed in the floods, including 552 children, and 33 million have been affected, according to the United Nations. Like many nations in the global south facing the wrath of climate change, Sharif noted Pakistan had little responsibility for it. Quote, Pakistan has never seen a starker and more devastating example of the impact of global warming. Nature has unleashed her fury on Pakistan without looking at our carbon footprint, which is next to nothing. Our actions did not contribute to this, he said. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who visited flood-ravaged Pakistan earlier this month, said he had never seen climate carbon carnage on such a scale. He blamed rich nations for the devastation with G20 nations responsible for 80% of current carbon emissions. Wealthier countries are morally responsible for helping developing countries like Pakistan to recover from disasters like this and to adapt to build resilience to climate impacts that unfortunately will be repeated in the future, according to Guterres. More than one-third of Pakistan was submerged by melting glaciers and record monsoon rains that began in June. The estimated cost of the catastrophe is more than $30 billion. The Prime Minister of St. Vincent and the Grenadine, Ralph Gonsalves, assured that geopolitical conflicts can be resolved with quality global leadership and reproached the international community for indifference in the face of escalating aggressions. During a speech at the 77th United Nations General Assembly, Gonsalves urged the United Nations to intervene drastically to end the wars being waged in Ukraine, Yemen and Syria. He also called for intervention to end the oppression of the Palestinian people and condemned the economic blockade imposed on Cuba and attempts to overthrow democratic governments such as those in Venezuela and Nicaragua. The San Vincian Prime Minister urged the incorporation of new ideas that would lead to renewed global governance, since, he said, the old ideas of powerful nations dominating the world, justified by their presumption of exceptionalism or their riches, have been left behind. I asked the relevant and disturbing questions. What's new? What world? And who gives the orders? The future of humanity depends on satisfactory answers to these questions. Cuba has a new family code in a true and legitimate democratic exercise. Cubans voted this Sunday at the polls in favor of the document, which is modern, inclusive, and responds to the problems of today's society. Nearly 67% of the electorate voted yes in the popular referendum, which, despite adverse weather conditions, showed an active citizen participation. The day had a large participation of the new generations, a sign of their commitment to the future of the country. They were present at the polling stations and in other actions related to the process. In addition, over 400,000 young people who reached the required age voted for the first time. Our children and teenagers guarded the ballot boxes, a fact that amazes many in the world, but which is usual in our country. Last July, the National Assembly of People's Power approved the new family code, which will contribute to a fairer Cuba, which defends and broadens the rights of every Cuban. This Sunday's event was reached after the months of debates, 
analysis and the search for consensus, since it is a text of all and for all. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, but there were no podcasts up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 6 p.m. to midnight at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look much harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.